Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. At the start of the year, industry experts predicted that 2018 would be the year of the plant-based diet. And as we enter the fourth quarter, sales and growth data suggest that this prediction is coming to fruition. But does it also mean that the end of animal agriculture could be on the horizon? Last fall, the restaurant consultancy group Baum & White named plant-based the food trend of 2018, a sentiment that was echoed by Nestle, which listed among four consumer trends that it believed would drive growth in the coming years. At the same time, delivery service Grubhub released data showing that users chose vegan food 19% more of the time in the first half of 2017 than the first half of 2016. Again, it expected this trend to continue. And it has. According to data from the NPD group, the year ending March 2018, demand for plant-based protein was up 19%. This is building on Innova Market Insights reports that plant-based product claims increased 62% from 2013 through 2017 and shows no sign of slowing. But how far will this trend actually go? And will it spell an end to animal agriculture? Or will it burn bright and hot and eventually fizzle, like so many food fads before it? In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, we find out from J.C. Reitz, a social scientist and animal advocate, who is publishing a book, The End of Animal Farming. In it, he says he hopes to lay out a path forward to capitalize on plant-based eating's momentum and not just fix animal farming, but move past it entirely. While his view may seem overly optimistic or one-sided to some, he is building his case on a strong foundation of consumer demand that has almost 40% of Americans trying to eat more plant-based foods, according to a recent Nielsen HomeScan survey. But as Reese notes in the book, the popularity of plant-based eating didn't happen overnight. Rather, he explains for roughly 200 years, beginning in the 1800s, vegetarianism and veganism have struggled against downward pressure from negative social and culture connotations, as well as high costs that keep it out of the reach for many Americans. He adds it wasn't until the past 20 years or so that the diet really started to gain momentum. But even now, he notes, it has a long way to go to catch up with its omnivorous and carnivorous counterparts. All the way back to the 1800s when vegetarianism was an ascetic diet. It was thought of as something you did for medical purposes, you know, for psychological purposes at, at an asylum or at a sanitarium or something, uh, often because it was thought of as a, a bland diet, you know, the sort of restriction mentality that we've seen with a lot of religions. And, and this is a bad place to start a uh, food trend um, because it doesn't give it the best associations. People thought of vegetarianism as being very restrictive, very limiting, like, oh, that's not for me because I enjoy um, the happiness of food. I enjoy going out to eat and celebrating. And meat, you know, throughout history has been seen as a luxury. Um, it really hasn't been until the latter half of the 1900s and now the 21st century when people have started to think of it as a moral issue, as a social issue, as something broader than just um, something you'll adopt for personal 
lifestyle or purity reasons. Um, so I don't think much about, you know, what's the, the biggest trend of 2018 or anything like that. Instead, I'm seeing this broad um, expansion of humanity's circle to, to consider the interests of animals, not just in the food system, but, you know, we've seen so many changes already happening for animals used in entertainment or cats and dogs at home, animals used in biomedical research. Um, it kind of being the culmination of that, you know, the over 99% of domestic animals are in the food system, and over 99% of, of U.S. farmed animals live on factory farms. Uh, so it represents a really important step in humanity's moral trajectory. And then, of course, we also have sustainability issues and bring increase, uh, awareness of public health, and we're kind of getting this perfect storm right now. Um, a lot of it is generated by activists, so this movement didn't start as a business trend. It started as... Um, outspoken animal rights activists who were working on laboratory animal issues and then saw the huge number of animals being used in, in the food system and wanted to make that transition. But over the past, yeah, you, you got it right with about 20 years, um, we've really started to see undercover investigations that have exposed a lot of cruelty. And we've seen a lot of, often vegetarians, but at least, you know, interested people who are now taking the next step and saying, well, we have so much awareness, we have so much public sentiment, everyone's concerned about factory farming, that maybe we need to take a business angle and actually change people's diets. So where does that put the plant-based trend and market today? According to Reese, the percentage of Americans who identify as strictly vegan and strictly vegetarian is still relatively small. But he adds the real potential for growth is reflected in the number of consumers who follow a so-called flexitarian diet, or who are simply swapping out some of their animal-based products for plant-based options. Um, you know, there used to be essentially no vegans and then only a small number of vegetarians doing it for, for those sorts of health reasons. Um, but now we're up to maybe around... Uh, so you have several different ways to measure it. But in terms of what people are actually eating day to day, um, about 1% of, of Americans abstain completely from animal products, and maybe about 3% additionally um, just abstain from uh, animal meat. Um, they still eat dairy and eggs. Um, but when it comes to self-report, you get bigger numbers, um, maybe upwards of, of 3 to 5% vegan, uh, no animal products at all, and then maybe 5 to 10% um, vegetarian. So it depends on how you ask it. If you put it in the context of, um, you know, lifestyle and everyone wants to be a cool vegetarian or whatever, or young people at least, um, you can get even higher numbers. Um, but the, the real magic, the, the real exciting stuff starts to happen when you look at how many people are just trying to reduce their consumption of animal products. These are people who aren't so focused on an identity. They're not, maybe they identify with the term like flexitarian, but at least not deliberately. They're the sorts of people who right now are buying plant-based milks, I think mostly. You know, plant-based meat is still uh, a pretty fringe part of the market, but plant-based milks have gotten upwards of around 10% in the U.S. Uh, of uh, fluid dairy sales. Um, so that's pretty, pretty exciting, and I think that's where we're starting to see a lot of changes. You're seeing right now a lot of, not just activists, but, but the businesses too, who are learning that that's the demographic they need to appeal to, who are realizing that they shouldn't worry so much about, let's say, an organic label or a non-GMO label, that that would be appealing to that vegan crowd, but instead they should be just focusing on the, the group that's interested in ethics, interested in healthy eating, but isn't so dedicated to the idea that they need the perfect product. Uh, you know, right now there's a company called Seattle Food Tech that's producing chicken nuggets um, made from soy and, and, and uh, plant oils um, that cook and taste like their animal-based counterpart. And what's so exciting about this uh, new product is that it's not your hippie food. It's not, you know, organic or, or whatever fancy terms you want. It's not artisan. It just works at scale. It works for, for people in food service who need something that's effective and cheap. 
Um, so that's where you're starting to see most of the excited change, in my opinion, and, and that's especially where you're seeing it in pop culture with the plant-based burgers that have come out, and, and those are really needy. You know, they're targeting the carnivores. Um, with the new technology, which is cell culture meat, um, Memphis Meats has specifically targeted and talked about the omnivorous, you know, carnivorous uh, Memphis barbecue population as being a big target. So you're really seeing the, the most exciting companies, I think, focus on the most carnivorous demographics. Recent Nielsen data supports recent observations. A global survey conducted by Nielsen last fall found 39% of Americans and 43% of Canadians are trying to incorporate more plant-based foods in their diets. Even though only 6% of North Americans self-identified as vegetarian, and only 3% of Americans identify as vegan. This in turn has helped drive double-digit growth across innovative plant-based food options. According to Nielsen, in the year ending in April 2018, sales of plant-based cream were up 25%, while plant-based yogurt was up 31%, and veggie noodles were up a whopping 115%. Other classic categories like cheese alternatives were up 45% and meat alternatives were up 30%. While all this sounds great for plant-based product manufacturers, it's hard not to wonder if it's too good to be true or if it will last. Reese acknowledges that food fads come and go all the time. But he explains that based on historical and current social movements, the plant-based diet is here to stay. I think and hear obviously a lot about you know what food Beyonce is eating or, or these these trends, but they're not very important to me. I think they they come and go like they do with any food trend. Um, instead, we need to look at the more macro fundamental factors. Um, there are a few of them here. So so one is the expanding moral concern and the fact that people just aren't okay with factory farming anymore. Um, you know, largely the, the huge activist movement. Um, you know, I, I think the, the the population and public sentiment as a whole drives a lot, but by and large, you have entities like like large nonprofits or companies um, or governments, of course, who are kind of dictating the moral path forward for society. And I, I think those people are already looking ahead to the future. Um, additionally, you have the urgency of, of uh, environmental issues, especially climate change. And I think that's going to push a long-term, like decades-long trend uh, towards more sustainable food, of, of which this is one. And on that point, the, the big one is just efficiency. I mean, just the fact that you know it takes around 10 calories of plant-based food to produce one calorie of animal-based food, or even with protein, it's around 10 calories or 10 grams of protein to produce um, two grams of, of animal-based protein. Um, and just society is self-interested. They, they do want what, what's most effectively getting food on their plate. This is you know, kind of the fundamental role of technology in the food system is to help us get what we want um, with fewer resources. So it's, it's most obvious if you look into the long term. Think about humanity, you know, expanding to the stars. It would be crazy for us to bring a factory farm with us to Mars, or it would be crazy for us to continue using this sort of food system when we have such a nuanced understanding of biology and, and cells and molecules and all this that we can produce, you know, animal products without the animal. So I'm, I'm optimistic that even if the moral forces don't win out, the efficiency forces will take the day. Based in part on this optimism, Reese lays out in his new book a long-term but also ambitious timeline and four-stage process for when he predicts plant-based diets not only will rival animal-based eating, but actually surpass it and eventually put an end to animal farming.
So right now I think we're in the foundation period of this movement. We're seeing a lot of social change. We're seeing quite a few people adopt vegetarian and vegan diets, but it's, it's not more than, let's say, 10%. It's not the sort of mass movement that, that, that you know, we've had for human issues. Um, but I think up until about 2025, we'll, we'll continue laying this foundation, and especially we're using this kind of moral drive and using the nonprofits um, to create uh, the beginnings of an industry. So most of these companies you know, are founded by people who got their start as vegetarians, as vegans, as activists, and then decided the most effective way to approach this was, was through the business angle. Um, I think they're still going to be mostly working kind of behind the scenes, you could say. I mean, there's some publicity at this stage when it comes to the, next, the latest prototypes. Of course, the, some of the plant-based meats, you know, like the, the burgers are coming out, but those are still expensive. And right now, the big focus is just on refining the technology. Um, I think once that happens, so once, for example, we, we do get just a penny cheaper than animal-based foods, that's what we're going to see what, what looks like a mass movement and people really demanding a switch because we'll no longer have that big logistical roadblock in our way. So I'm guessing somewhere around 2025 to 2050, we'll get the second stage of the movement, which is you know, a, a food revolution. Of course, that'll mostly be centered in, in the places where this technology has started, uh, the countries with you know, more of an ethical concern or more of a, an environmental concern. So for example, actually with, um, with China, you know, they have a huge environmental commitment and, and a huge, um, at least ostensibly, an excitement about that as a country. Um, and you, I've, I've spoken to several people in, in, in involved with the government and involved with businesses there. And because of that, they might take the lead on clean meat. And that would be so, so exciting. And uh, we might see them change, but then you know, the U.S. not get as much change. Because let's say we get you know, regulation that just um, you know, really stabs this industry in the foot and they can't make it anywhere in the near term. Um, but around 2050, and, and I think from 2050 until the end of the century, uh, you're going to see a globalization. So you're going to see each country start to adopt this in their own way. You know, maybe in some countries it'll displace factory farming, um, but in a country like New Zealand, where I was a few weeks ago, you know, they, they really believe in and rely on and celebrate uh, at least the, the more humane parts of their animal farming system. So maybe that will stick around on board. And those will be products for the people who can afford it, but for the masses, you know, who, who just economically need to buy factory farm food, they'll start switching. Um, I, think, I think in the, the, the later parts of the century, we could get potential conflict. So, you know, let's say China has really taken off with clean meat, but the U.S. is struggling to adopt it. And in fact, you know, as we see now, the certain countries want to export their food to other countries, and the other countries don't always want that. Um, and then we get tension and the potential for large-scale conflict. Um, I, that's pretty worrisome to me. Um, I think it's not the struggle we have to deal with now, but I think we should keep an eye out to it. So, for example, I think it's pretty important that these companies um, build a cross-cultural and a um, diverse movement. You know, we've already seen Memphis Meets, for example. They have a very diverse team. that got a lot of media coverage um, with the amount of you know, women they have on board, for example. Um, and overall, I think we're going to be kind of taking on the rest of, of, of animal agriculture um, as we near 2100. And by the end, I do think we'll, we'll have so much moral momentum that people will care about animals in a, in a very similar way to how they care about humans now. And we'll see just the exploitation, that the use of animals is wrong because we know what sort of suffering it causes. And you know, just as we've ensured the rights and, and welfare of humans by giving them kind of legal status, we'll start to see more of those fundamental change for the ways animals are viewed in society. And that will eventually lead to the complete abolition of animal farming. As Reese notes, a potential change this dramatic won't come easily. And he acknowledges that there will likely be fighting between stakeholders in the plant-based camp, 
those in the animal agriculture camp, and those who process products. Most people think there are two parties. They think that there's the, the vegans, the plant-based folks, and then there's uh, animal ag or the meat industry. Um, but really there's the, the plant-based folks and the people kind of driving the new technologies. And then there's the, the big meat companies, the meat processors like Tyson and Cargill, um, who are starting to invest and get excited about these foods because they're not married to using animals as part of their bottom line. Instead, they're just married to, to protein. They're married to what actually gets on people's plate, their brand, etc. cetera. Um, but then the third party is the people married to animal agriculture. So these are people who are actually farmers themselves or who explicitly represent um, animal farmers or animal ranchers. Um, and you're going to continue to see a divide between the, the animal-free food folks and the animal ag folks. Um, I don't think there's any way to get around that just because um, they both have vested interests in the opposite sides. Um, but what's most exciting and I think what's going to drive the future is the meat processor crowd, is the people who um, can look at these products and say, well, this is what consumers are, are demanding. They're just not having the products yet to, to, to meet their expectations exactly. So if I can be the first one to provide it, you know, trillion dollar market globally, um, that, that's so exciting to many of them. And especially with Tyson, I mean, Tyson's so weird as a, as a microcosm of all this. You know, they've been historically one of the biggest targets of animal rights activists because of um, their use of chickens in particular and then their use of factory farming. Um, but now they're the, the meat company that's becoming most invested in these new products. Um, so I think that's what I'm watching mostly. I am optimistic. You know, I'm seeing um, those companies invest in these new foods. I'm seeing uh, the, the plant-based or animal-free food companies take a broad approach. You know, they're realizing the mistakes that, that previous you know, animal-free food advocates have used and, and uh, isolating themselves as a niche product, and they're learning from that. I think that's really exciting. Um, the danger to me is, is if we see, I mean, with any new industry, you have trouble with coordination and, and cooperation for long-term goals. And if we see, you know, one or two companies who um, decide they can get to market a little quickly by cutting some corners when it comes to food safety or regulation, and that can just, you know, be a big blot, a big stain on the industry. Um, so it's kind of keeping everyone in line. You know, I think we're in a good direction, but we need to just make sure everyone follows. And, and if so, we're, we're going to have a much better future of the food system. If what Reese says is true and the writing is on the wall that plant-based eating is not just a hot trend for 2018, but the wave of the future, what can manufacturers and processors do to help propel that trend forward or stake their claim? Reese says the most impactful change they can make is to offer plant-based products that appeal to a broad audience, are scalable, and importantly, affordable. I think a big part of this is, is appealing to a broad audience. Um, so, for example, we've seen a lot of debate around the terms plant-based and the terms vegan. Um, both of those, at least in theory, describe just a product free of, of, of animal-based ingredients. Um, and yet, you have massively different public perceptions. And if, if you brand yourself as a vegan restaurant or you brand yourself as a, a vegan product, that's great. And you're going to appeal to vegans. But most of these people who are just excited about plant-based foods and, excited, and, and opposed to, to factory farming aren't going to see it as a product for them. And, and companies really right now need to be creating products for the masses, for the people who have that, let's say, a, a lower level of, of interest or engagement or, or at least identity um, with these foods. 
So I'm, I'm excited about, you know, kind of just making cheap food, making cheap, tasty, nutritious food, um, even if it doesn't check all the boxes. You know, maybe it's, I know, Impossible Foods, for example, uh, got their grass certification and they did some, some testing on animals. And that made a lot of vegans angry, but honestly, like, in the long run, what, is, what matters most for, for building a better food system? Probably Impossible Foods compared to another company that hasn't, you know, gotten their plant-based burger served in so many uh, restaurants and locations now. Um, but in general, I think there's, there's a lot of reason for optimism, and we, we should be emulating what historical um, movements and, and technologies have done. So, for example, you know, when uh, cars first emerged, they were seen as, as so clearly something we needed to adopt as society, something to be far more efficient, something that was cool, something that was the wave of the future, that within 30 years there were more cars than horses in America. Uh, with personal computers, those got adopted within 20 years, um, where there's the majority of U.S. households owning one. With smartphones, that was even faster, you know, within five years. So the more we can make this seem like a, a mass um, social change rather than just a personal identity, uh, just a minority kind of lifestyle uh, for people to adopt, I think the better off the food system will be in the long run. Listeners who want to learn more about the future of plant-based eating and the changes that Reese is predicting can check out his new book, The End of Animal Farming, How Scientists, Entrepreneurs, and Activists Are Building an Animal-Free Food System. It'll be available on November 6th and can be found in major bookstores and online. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week, and to ensure you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until then, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.